Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by Eli K25. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, do we have a packed show today? You're not going to start with, did I watch Thursday Night Football? We won't have enough time to talk about Good. it because Mark Zumoff is going to join us I, shortly. Because the answer is, as usual, no, I did not watch. We'll get to that in a minute because yes. it was a bonkers game that Baker Mayfield ended up playing rather well. Is but, that the official but, sports term for Thursday Night Football, bonkers? Well, if you're watching Thursday Night Football, <laughs> there may be questions about you sometimes. Let's, let's not wait. Let's get right to it, Jeff. The voice of the 76ers for almost three decades, Mark Zumoff, joins the show. Mark, how are you doing today? Almost three decades. Hard to believe, Harry. <laughs> what an amazing journey that you have had. Tell us, what's the, the, what are you doing post-on-air right now with yourself? I am teaching at Temple University. I am also the associate director of the Claire Smith Center for Sports Media at the university. I do a fair amount of philanthropic work. I help to coach young people if they're interested in breaking into the business or improving their skills. I, I got a lot going on, guys. Don't be misled. Retirement is just a word. It, it doesn't does, sound like retirement. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> seem like you have much downtime in that retirement. You know, the, the teaching and the coaching kind of fascinates me. You have so much to, to impart on people. Talk to us about that and what it means to you to be able to take the things that you've learned through the years that other people taught you, pass it down to people who will be able to use it to entertain others. I'd like to think that I'm doing a service for young people because a lot of what I learned through the years was making stupid mistakes or just not listening myself or just discovering things because it's part of the natural growth process. So for me to be able to perhaps give them some aha moments or have them avoid some of those pitfalls and they get it and they improve their performance or they're able to get a job through career development skills or what have you is uh, very, very rewarding for me. You know, Mark, we, we know you for, mostly from the Sixers and all those amazing catchphrases that you came up with over the years, but we all needed to start with a big break. Uh, back in 1980, you had a one-game audition with the Philadelphia Fever. What was it like to have that audition? What do you remember about that audition? And, and by the way, who was the guy that you did, did the audition with? So I'll save the best for last or close to last, but it was an opportunity for me to have a one-game audition. The Philadelphia Fever was an indoor soccer team, and I did their games their last two years, 78 through 80. And indeed, I not had any sports casting experience on TV, so a gentleman by the name of V. Shubin, who was the program director of Channel 17, seeing that I was green, said, all right, you have a one-game audition. If you pass, you have the contract to do the games for the rest of the season, and if not, then we're going to have to do something else. And so I remember distinctly the team opened the season in Hartford, Connecticut. And, you know, I'd done all my homework and was understandably very nervous knowing that all this pressure is going to be put on me. And then I remember that morning I woke up, it was a Sunday morning, the team was playing an afternoon game. And I got a call from this Mr. Shubin who had said to me, uh, listen, your color analyst, who is as green as I was, a gentleman by the name of Skip Roderick, um, had never done TV before either. And he said, well, he can't make the game. 
And to this day, I think they didn't want to have two beginners on at the same time. <laughs> so he said, your, your color analyst, and he's flying there now, is going to be Harry Callis. <laughs> and, uh, of course, uh, we all know that Harry's a Hall of Fame broadcaster and is one of the greatest to ever uh, talk about baseball with a microphone in his hands. And so uh, it needs to be understood that he really didn't know that much about indoor soccer, but he was so good at being a broadcaster that he could be on television talking about anything just with that uh, great bass voice that he had you clearly felt like he knew what he was talking about. And so I think he was brought in just to make sure that I didn't, uh, you know, faint on the air, anything like that. He was my color analyst. I did the game. Needless to say, I passed the audition. And uh, the final year of that team, I should point out, for the old-timers, they had their games on the old Prism TV, which was the forerunner to Comcast Sportsnet, which became NBC Sports Philadelphia. And, of course, they did Flyers games and Phillies games. They did Sixers basketball. And through that, they hired me to be the halftime host. My first year was the championship year, 82-83. And then in 94, I got the job announcing the games. So when you, when you find out that Harry Callis is flying in to do your game with you, how do you, how do you deal with that as, as a young announcer? And how do you impart that same wisdom on? Because you may not, maybe you do realize it, but you, sh- you should know that if you were to do that with a young announcer today, they'd feel the same way. I think they'd be even more nervous because there you're sitting next to someone who I grew up listening to, you know, Harry came to Philly in the early seventies. I was still in high school and just became enamored with him, his voice, his style, all of that. And so to be sitting next to someone like that, we'll say seven, eight years later was pretty mind blowing for me, but uh, somehow I got through it. Uh, We became friends after that. Um, Not so much going out to dinner friends, but, colleagues as we all are in the in the sports media world we all kind of know each other in philadelphia and elsewhere and so um i enjoyed the association and um was particularly uh touched by the fact that he had good things to say after my one game audition and was always very complimentary from that point forward you know, you mentioned Prism. I still have a T-shirt uh, a pr- with the Prism logo on it, and I get more comments wearing that shirt when I'm out walking around the city and in South Jersey than any other shirt I wear. So that station lives. How about on. that? Oh, it's it's still. A, a, I loved watching. That's where I learned. I hope he wa- washes it. I, I do wash it, but that's where I learned watching my sports. You know, you've you've had some journey from. Well, let me interrupt you for a second sure. and ask this question of you: Do you know P R I S M? Do you know what that stands for? Oh, it's the uh, something regional. There you go. You're I, on it. I, I, yeah, I'm drawing a blank. He asked me that on the air. But I do actually, I did know that at one time. Jason doesn't like to be quizzed. <laughs> no, I fail every quiz that Jeff asked me on the air live. So what does it stand so, for? Yeah, so the great Lou Scheinfeld, who was, um, um, one. Of, we'll, we'll call him one of the uh, primary people who worked with uh, the late Ed Snyder, Fires and the Sixers and the old Spectrum uh, came up with that. I think they came up with the name Prism first because I think as Lou explains it, the old Spectrum had a logo that had almost rainbow-like colors in it. So Prism became almost like a natural offshoot. And then from that, Lou said, okay, P-R-I-S-M, 
Philadelphia regional in home sports and movies. I, I had the regional part. I, I, but there's, <laughs> if you could have given me our whole interview and I wouldn't have gotten the rest You're of one it. For so five. I'll freely admit yeah. that I would have not have passed the test in your class. Listen, you got regional. That's more than, uh, you know, 99 out of a hundred would have got, but he didn't get Philadelphia. No. Well, the, <laughs> the details, Jeff, you know, you, you mentioned right. though, the Lou Scheinfeld and I mean, we've had him on to talk before the, the flyers you've called games for the flyers for the union, you called U.S. women's basketball game over at the Rio Olympics. What's this journey been like for you? Could you ever have imagined in your 44-year career in broadcasting that you've had so many different stops along the road? I'll say this, that while I was doing it, I would say to people, you know what, I'm going to be 95 years old and you know, sitting in a chair in some nursing home and somebody's going to come up to you and say, you know, you announced the games for the team you grew up rooting for, the 76ers, and you filled in for one of your idols, Gene Hart, doing flyers, and you covered the Olympics one year. You actually did all of that, and I'll say, no way. There's no way that happened. So I didn't believe it while it was happening, and I, now that I'm not doing it anymore, it, it really does seem incredible because, you know, I was a late bloomer. I wasn't one of those uh, popular kids in class. I wasn't one of those who was picked to succeed. I kind of figured it out a lot later in life. In fact, there was a point in my life when I was graduating college, I didn't even think I was going to go into the business because my parents were, especially my mother was afraid that I, I wouldn't have any security, that it was very competitive. And just the very notion of wanting to talk on the radio or be on TV was, was crazy in, in a modest household in which I grew up in Northeast Philly. And so uh, to, to know that it all happened, what I try to do, guys, is I try to say to kids who don't have a lot of confidence or who never uh, were able to think that they could be successful at anything to tell them that uh, it is possible. And what you need to do is you need to believe in yourself. And the way you believe in yourself is to begin to look back in your successes and generate more successes and gain confidence that way. A lot of people who go into the profession that you do bounce around a lot, go to different cities. What what is it meant to you to be able to be the kid from Northeast Philly who gets to announce his hometown team? It's it's absolutely surreal for the exact reason that you just said. When the higher you go in our business, uh, the fewer the plum positions. So there are thirty, roughly thirty English speaking TV play-by-play announcers because there's 30 teams in the NBA. And so when you think about all of the people who do um, work in smaller markets or minor league baseball or, you know, small college basketball or streaming this or little league that. And then as you go higher, there are fewer and fewer positions, no matter how good you are, there are people who are going to get left by the wayside because uh, there just aren't enough positions. So those odds are long to begin with, let alone have the opportunity, as I said earlier, to do the games for the team you grew up rooting for. So, so now you get to sit home and watch the Sixers. Do, do you sit there and are you able to watch it quietly or are you sitting next to someone and they're saying maybe, hey, Dad, by the way, you don't have to talk about the game. <laughs> you can just watch it. <laughs> well, let me say this, guys. Um, uh, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I don't watch as often as people might think because for me, this was a vocation and it's something that I did for 40 some years. And so because of that, I have felt compelled. 
fact, one of the reasons why I retired is so I could pursue and make time for other things. Uh, that would be including my wife, who, uh, you know, sat with our kids, had her own high-profile career, and uh, nights, weekends, holidays uh, didn't have me around. And so when I'm home with her, we can watch the Sixers or we can watch Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I don't want to sit there and let her watch Grey's Anatomy alone while I'm upstairs, you know, agonizing over the Sixers. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I put the Sixers aside. Sometimes I'll tape the game uh, and sometimes I, I may not watch at all. So uh, I don't spend a ton of time watching the Sixers, but when I have an opportunity or my wife doesn't mind or she's off somewhere, I'll... Uh, I'll sit back and I'll watch Kate Scott, who, by the way, I think is absolutely remarkable. She's excellent. You know, how, how often, it's got to be hard to replace the, the voice that was there, but I, I got to ask, you know, you mentioned being with your wife. How often are you out and somebody's like, can you record saying like, turn garbage into gold or coming in for a landing or any of your sayings? How often do you get people saying, can you record this for my wedding or for my voicemail or something? I imagine that happens occasionally for you. I actually get it all the time and a lot of what I do for charities involves a package where people can get a personalized video or an answering machine message or something like that. You know, I'm on cameo. So I, I get to uh, earn a little bit of money doing that as well. And there are quite a number of people and it's really astounding. You don't realize the power of TV until you're out on the street and people uh, start coming back with phrases or, you know, other things that they enjoyed. So um, it feels good. I, I, I can't lie to you. It, it feels good to know that people remember you, that you had a significant impact on their life, and that for some very important moments involving the Sixers, you were the soundtrack for it. It was a real honor to have done that. You know, we, we talk to athletes all the time about how they use their platform to benefit society. You just talked about doing charity work. How, how important and how much has it meant to you that you get, have been able to turn the plat, that platform into, into something that you can benefit your community with? Well, I think everyone should give back. And if you have that platform, if you're a player or you're a movie star or uh, a media personality, or in my case, someone who was on the air for 40 plus years, in a big market, uh, and you can parlay that into good for a nonprofit, well, then I really do think it's your responsibility to do so. I think those of us who are blessed to do something that we would have done for free and to be richly compensated for it um, owe even more because we really didn't work for a living. We were just lucky enough to do something that we did as a kid, I used to turn the sound down to the TV and do games into a tape recorder. And the very essence of that was what I did for a living for 40 plus years. And so um, I, I, I think that everybody hopefully should feel some responsibility to give back. But those of us who have been fortunate to do what I did and the like should, uh, I think, be even more inspired. You know, through your years, whether you're doing pre and post game, halftime, calling the games, you have seen some pretty amazing basketball players from Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley, their matchups at the Spectrum, to Allen Iverson, Joel Embiid through the years. What's it been like for you to have such a close seat to the greatness that is on the court and then be the soundtrack for what they do? Being a fan and then getting to be the soundtrack, it just makes it that much more special. 
I never got jaded, not once, not even up to the very last call that I made. Because every time I walked into the arena, even before the players hit the floor, just seeing the seats, seeing the scoreboard, seeing the hardwood, hearing the public address announcer warm up, uh, and then the first bounce of the basketball and players would come out to warm up, you got excited uh, even if it was the 81st of 82 games or even if it was the fourth game at five nights. And, I mean, think about it. Allen Iverson is one of the most unique players, not only in Philadelphia sports history, but uh, in all of sports history because he did what he did um, as, as a guy playing with giant six feet, maybe 165 pounds, maybe, and and not just shooting 25-footers, but going into the lane time and time again, getting bumped around, getting pushed down, popping back up. Um, and, and I would have to say, as I think back on my career, probably my favorite guy in terms of um, calling the action because he was so special, because he was so neat, unique. And don't forget, um, you know, the personality and, and everything else that happened uh, with his uh, hip hop style and dress and how much of a pioneer he was with that. It was really just an unbelievable thing to be able to cover somebody like that. Of, of all the games that you called, I know it's going to be hard, but what are the ones that you'll remember most? It's weird, but I always say my favorite game ever, you know, I, I started doing the games in 94, 95, and those were the first two years. It was John Lucas, and then Johnny Davis came along, and these were some lean years when uh, the team was not doing very well. And then Pat Croce finally hired Larry Brown, and in a couple of years, uh, Larry Brown came to realize that the, the way to succeed with Allen Iverson is to uh, surround him with players who were good defensive players who were hard workers and didn't necessarily need the ball because Iverson was going to dominate the ball, especially, um, you know, taking 30, 40 shots a game sometimes. And so um, when the team finally made the playoffs after an eight-year drought, you've got to remember this was 98-99. It was the lockout season. They played only 50 games, 5-0. So it was a sprint to the finish. And then I remember uh, the Sixers were a six seed in the playoffs. Orlando was a three seed. They managed to split in Orlando. And the first home playoff game ever at Wells Fargo Center was also the first uh, home playoff game for the Sixers in eight years. And uh, to this day, I, I remember Iverson just was he was out of his mind. In fact, he still has an NBA record. He had 10 steals in the game. If you get three or four steals in a game, it's a lot. So he had 10 in a playoff game. And it was just a wild affair. I don't think anybody sat down from tip off the buzzer. There was a near fight in the game. I remember uh, Matt Geiger tussling in front of the Orlando bench uh, with the late Chuck Daly almost getting into it. So um, for some reason, with all the different games that I've covered over the years, uh, that to me was uh, the most special. And you have to remember, too, that I never did any of the finals games. So in 2001, when they made it by then, the networks had all the games. Well, look, we can't thank you enough, uh, me in particular, for being the voice of my childhood watching and growing up and my adulthood watching this team. And for the rest of the fans that, that got to have you narrate what was our fandom and for giving us some time here on the show to talk about all of it. Best of luck with all the stuff you're doing going forward, and we hope to help be able to publicize a little more. Thanks, guys. It was a pleasure. I enjoyed it. Jeff, when you get talk to talk to somebody like that, it's like, 
I, I say it all the time <clears> when <throat> we talk to the Lou Nolans and the Dan Bakers. Like my my brain goes right back to those moments of them calling those games for me. Like it, it's like markers in my life. Yeah, I don't think people realize it when they're there or when you're watching the game, the voices, un- until you're not there and you think back and you realize those voices are ingrained as part of, they really are. Like we always think of soundtracks as music, but those voices are the soundtrack of sports fans everywhere. Lou Nolan, when, when you're at a Flyers game, the Pico power play and all that other stuff, when you were watching a Sixers game for the last three decades, it's Mark Zumoff. And, you know, lately it was Allah, but it's Mark Zumoff. Those, those phrases, we're now watching Sixers games, and he's, he's not there. But when there are things that happen, are you not thinking and Kate has garbage a throw, into goal? Kate has a throwback to him every once in a while. Look, it's a tough spot for her to follow somebody who was well, yeah, so but we're not, I mean, look, we, hopefully we'll get to talk to her someday. But, but right now we're talking about him, and his voice is the soundtrack of the last – 27 years of Sixers history. How do you think his wife feels? She finally got him home and they go out and somebody's like, hey, can you record this video <laughs> for me? <laughs> oh, I just kept saying, please don't ask him to do this for your phone. <laughs> I did not. Are you proud of me for not I trying know you to, like, wanted to. I, I didn't even ask him to do a drop for the show or anything. Uh-huh. I was very nice about it. Jeff, we got about two minutes before we hit the break and we come back from the break. We've got Hall of Famer Carl Eller We've got Army outside linebacker and Captain Andre Carter. How do we get them? My goodness, yeah. what, what a what a show we've got going on! And you know, we'll talk a little more about. Are, are, Army so, are Navy you jacked? Game. Are you jacked to go to the Army Navy game again? Oh, absolutely. I mean, not as jacked as I was to watch Baker Mayfield on Amazon Prime last night. But please, please <laughs> tell me that was sarcasm. <laughs> please, you know, you know, I don't care how great a comeback he supposedly had. The ratings for the Raiders versus the Rams team that even though they're the defending Super Bowl champions have no chance at the playoffs, you can't – the ratings must have been awful. You know the game. ratings are bad when they won't give out ratings. Do they have ratings when it's on, it's, when it's on Amazon it's, Prime? How do they figure no, out what the ratings they, are? They don't give out traditional ratings. Right. Like so, and that's been a complaint of people is you can't really judge apples to apples on how is it performing – on a streaming well, no, platform. MLS is on Apple. Yes, MLS is on, <laughs> on Apple. That is correct. Well played, Jeff. Thank you. Um, so you didn't watch the game last no. night, I'm guessing. Will you watch the Eagles-Giants this weekend? Or? Of course I will. You will watch that yeah. game. Do you, how do you feel about your Giants going into that They're gonna game? They're going to lose. They're going to lose? Saquon yeah. Barkley may not play, it looks like, with his neck. That would be bad for you. That would be bad for him. Why would uh, that be bad for him? Well, he's coming into a contract year, and the last thing he needs is to, again, have people think that he's injury prone. So it's got to be. Look, I'm not saying he should play if he's injured. He shouldn't. But he's been unable to stay healthy. That's his big problem. By the way, I get one minute till we'll break. We have too much to talk about. Trey Turner signs here, Jeff. That was this week? He got you to... That seems like so long ago. You renewed your Phillies tickets, Jeff. You're going to go to... And, and, And Taiwan Walker was a very good, like, under the radar, nice... Number three, number four starter either fits in right before or right after Ranger. And now you hope that Painter come, is able to come up and pitch and, and you have a rotation. Turner and Stott will cost about the same amount of money that Gene Segura and D.D. Gregorius did No, see, see, that doesn't work. That's for 2023. Yes. 
Turner is signed for 11 years. Look, if you'd let me just use the numbers the way that I want yeah, to make so the you, argument you, I want, we'd have a much better show here, <laughs> at least from you, my perspective. Yeah, of but the I table. mean, I mean, maybe that's the way Dombrowski sold it. <laughs> right? Middleton? That's what he it's, said to Middleton. Yeah. Hey, it's where you're going to save money next yeah. year. Don't, yeah. don't worry about the fact that we have a whole bunch of guys that are making a couple hundred million dollars. Absolutely. Jeff, let's hit the break. When we come back, we've got lots more stock to, to, yeah, sports to talk about. Stick with us. <laughs> if we can talk. Keep listening at 97.5 HD2 online or on any smart device. 860 AM WWDB Philadelphia now concludes its broadcast day. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEG, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Jeff, let's talk some football with an NFL great. Hall of Famer Carl Eller joins the show. Carl, thank you so much for the time today. I'm very appreciative of having me on. Thank you. Uh, we we love to get to talk to you. We'll get to the pork rinds and the NFL alumni shortly, but your own journey is also rather fascinating if I could take you back. Jeff and I actually had to look this up. You were jo- you were drafted for the NFL and the AFL. How did you decide <laughs> which league you were going to play in? Well, I, I went to the... Uh... Uh, NFL because uh, I wanted to go with the Vikings and I was kind of surprised when Buffalo drafted me and I didn't have a lot of information on those guys but they were very nice and they wanted me uh, but they were still new at that time used to go all the way back to the early 60s so um, I wanted to be in Minnesota and uh, so I chose Minnesota the guy was giving me a, a kind of a, he said, well, are you seriously, would you consider us if we draft? And I couldn't tell him I was kind of thinking about the Vikings already, <laughs> but uh, that's where I, I chose the Vikings. You know, Carl, I know that you were already in Minnesota as a member of the Minnesota Golden Gophers, um, but you get drafted by two teams where it's a bit cold. If one of the teams had been Miami or some other team that would have been in the South, <laughs> would you would you have chosen them over Minnesota? <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure I would have, but you know, I uh, two cold teams, so I didn't have much uh, choice in that respect. So, so you get to play 16 seasons in the NFL, 225 games, and and you're a part of the people. Purple People Eaters defense. What's it like to be a part of something so special that the nickname lives on long after your days on the playing field? Well, I played with, with first of all, the team was special. And, uh, you know, I played with some special guys. Uh, they were really, you know, great guys. Jim Marshall, we went through a period. They were kind of built up, built up the team. The team started in 1960. I joined them in 64. Marshall, Jim Marshall, number 70, was the only uh, player there uh, that remained. And uh, I was on the other end. 
And we had this thing, media at the quarterback was kind of where we started. He was on one end and I was on the other. So that's how we started. And uh, Gary Lawson came along. And of course, Alan Page just broke all the records and we stayed together for a long time. And, and one of those people on those purple beep leaders was obviously you with the nickname of Moose. So we got to ask, how did you come up with the nickname Moose? Oh, man, that nickname <laughs> is stuck with me, but it came from really playing on the sandlots in my high school days. Uh, one of the guys, and I remember him uh, very well, the same was Charlie. He was kind of a bystander on the playground, you know, and and we would make up football teams and and everybody. I would carry the ball, the big guy, even as a young guy. I would carry the ball, and he said, there, he runs like a big old moose. I never even heard of a moose going up in North Carolina. I didn't know what it was, but the name stuck. And and following your playing career, you, you had your own journey. You founded a group of substance abuse centers. You, you helped the league develop substance abuse policies. Uh, I saw a quote you said, I've lived all the things I'm talking about. I've experienced it. Can you talk about your journey after you left the playing field and how you were able to start helping people? Well, that was a big, big move for me. I had my own problems with uh you know, various substances and uh, and the league really had no idea at that time. Uh, you know, I did, I thought they were kind of naive, you know what I mean? And uh, so I tried to help them start a program, and I did. We started a program. And we actually helped some of the guys get, get help, you know, go through the treatment, which I had gone through myself, uh, you know, it's kind of you start with that and you think, well, I'll hang out with the guys and I'll be one of the guys. And the drug dealers, they really like a football player, professional guys. That's somebody they really are, uh, become attached to it, you know, feed your ego and all that stuff. And it's, it just overtakes you, uh, you know, and before you know you're having problems with it and I really uh, thought that was, I mean, it was a horrible journey, but I thought, you know, because a couple of other guys in the league, I knew I wanted to help them find a way out the same as I had. And I went to the commissioner, who was Roselle at that time, and, and said, hey, man, then listen, guys. And you got to keep that stuff discreet. You know, you don't want to go all over the newspapers and everywhere and and privacy and all that stuff. And so that's what I tried to do. And eventually it gets out anyway for, you know, short time. But, uh, you know, I helped some guys and started my own treatment center and it was just great success. And I'm really proud of that. So thank you for asking. Carl, you seem to have been a champion for a lot of causes and especially causes related to uh, former NFL players. You were the lead plaintiff in a lawsuit against the NFL um, that, and accused them of not adequately caring for the players. You've been a champion for raising awareness for CTE. Where does where does this come from? Is it is is this from your parents? Is this from some other place that you feel that it's not just about playing football? It's about caring for the athlete. 
Well, you know, I, I think the athlete is very special. I'm still on that journey. I don't mean special in a way that has to be treated special, except that like, we see the athlete on the football field, and that's kind of it. And I think the journey is much broader than that. You know, the, the athlete, and I learned so much as an athlete, not only just to help other athletes, but to help society in general. And I've been a, had a great passion for that, you know, the whole time. And I, I still do, but of course, I'm not as active as I once was because it was a long time ago. But boy, I think the athlete has so much to add to the community. And we are just missing it. You know, like we're getting great. They do a lot. They help the athletes after they retire, you know, take them to their opponents and stuff like that. That's really important. People don't see that. So I'm still involved to some extent. Like today, we've done this for a number of years, sacks for sacks. And of course, the defensive end, you go for those sacks and, and they're trading that for sacks. It's a big, big deal. It helps a lot of people. And of course, the participants can win some prizes too. They can win $5,000 in a year of the programs. And I got some of them here with me now. And uh, they're, they're just really good, really delicious and bold. So maybe that answers your question too, a little bit. But I've had this passion for a long, long time. So thanks. Well, that, that leads to one of the reasons that you're here. You just mentioned pork rinds. Uh, I guess you're snacking away while you're interviewing. Um, <laughs> one of the reasons that we wanted to have you on, and we've had some of your fellow players on in previous years, is, is Pork Rind Appreciation Day and, and what it symbolizes, what it's important for. Can you tell us a little bit about what Pork Rind Appreciation Day is and how it relates to your continuing to champion for former players? Well, the Pope Ryan Appreciation Day is in, we've been associated with the uh, uh, you know, Hall of Fame and the Super Bowl for about 14 years now. And so that the day is, is really big for us. And it's snacks for sex or sacks for sex. Sacks for snacks, I'm sorry, three sticks. And it's real, counting the sacks. Trade them for snacks and the pork rind appreciation day.com is where you can find more information about this. And it's entering, you can end up by picking any team you believe will get those sacks, who has the most sacks. And uh, so that's where they win. But the contestants will also win $5,000 and the year of the pork rind. So it's a great to enter. You just go on the you know, pork rind appreciation day dot com and that's where you get all of your information now yeah well so that pork rind appreciation day now we know how we can enter we know how we can win and jason and i'll be talking about it a little more during the show and afterwards um but the reason for it is the gridiron greats assistant fund which is to to help retired players who have been who have suffered injuries that may not have been taken care of can you tell us a little bit about what it was like for the player of your generation. We all see the current generation, the players making millions of dollars. That wasn't your generation, despite how hard you worked and, and how much time that you put in. Can you tell us what it was like to play back then and, 
and and the travails that an athlete from your generation goes through and why the gridiron greats assistant fund is so important well it's important and you hit on some key points the salaries are certainly not anywhere near what they were what they are now and so the assistance fund helps the guys uh, get uh, uh, get the treatment not necessarily uh, for uh, alcohol and substance abuse, that's one of the minor things, but other injuries, it helps them with transportation costs of uh, things because the clinics sometimes are not right near where they live or stay in their hometown. And so they need transportation costs. Uh, sometimes there's housing problems or financial assistance for utilities, uh, medication, or other household expenses. So you have to take care of those what they call auxiliary expenses to help the athlete. Maybe it's not for the, the treatment itself, but to get that treatment and also to assist them to carry on that treatment. That's very, very important. So guys, you know, and don't have the money really and basically they're living on the, their funds. If they're on retirement, which they would they would be. But it's not enough to take care of all the extra costs that comes up that the Good and Great Assistance Funds helps them up. Before we close, I wanted to ask about a personal honor you got. 2004, you get the call. You're elected to the Hall of Fame. Not a bad Hall of Fame class. Bob Brown, Barry Sanders, John Elway. People have heard of them before. Yourself. Uh, perhaps the coolest part, your son Regis was your presenter. What was it like not only to get the call and go in, but to have your son present you for that special honor? Oh, man, that was great. And it was great for him, too. He was really happy to do that. You know, you grow up with your kids, and uh, it took a long time. I waited for a number of years to get into the hall, and he brought back some memories that we had gone through uh, just the time before well, waiting for the the call. But to have him do that was just exciting. He's such a great young man. He's now involved in some of their stuff in the league. But I was so proud of him and a bit proud of all of my kids. But that was just a big honor for me to have him do that. You know, you've been inducted into several Hall of Fames over the course of your career, well-deserved. Uh, of your time in in the NFL, what is what's the your fondest memory of playing for the Minnesota Vikings? Well, you, you mentioned uh, Bob Brown. Now, this is an interesting story because Bob Brown and I were the same age, and he played at Nebraska, and he was a tough guy in college all the way from like in, in Minnesota. He was. Um, just the adversary. And so I played against him in, um, in, in college, which was kind of the early part of the season. It wasn't part of the Big Ten. But so we played uh, each other, and he was at Nebraska, like I said, and I was in Minnesota. So we played there, and then he went to Philadelphia before he played on the West Coast. And I played against him there. He was a big offensive tackle. And we went into the Hall of Fame the same year. So uh, Bob Brown and I had been on some of this, the other teams at the year of the end, all-American teams or whatever. But our careers, 
really parallel each other's careers. And we became really good friends. And I'm a good friend of Bob's uh, still. Boy, he was a tough competitor. Some of my toughest bouts were against him during the whole time. I couldn't get rid of him. But uh, he's a good guy. Didn't take the cheap shots at you. And uh, and so um, I'm a real good friend of Bob's. And he deserves all the honors he's got. But it's ironic that we all shared the same dates who went in the same time as that did and did the whole thing. All right, so, but, but be honest with us. Who got the better of most of those matches, you or Bob Brown? <laughs> okay, one 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 deal was, so Bob, you would play a guy, you would know a guy, you know, and we were playing the Rams. I can't remember who the quarterback was. And I kind of knew what he was going to do. And so on the one of my great moves is kind of part of the question you asked, that, okay, I faked to Bob like I was going to go, going to go inside, you know, and tackle up. Uh, I wish I could remember the quarterback, but it'll come to you. And I, and I made this move like I was going to go, go inside. And Bob went for that, you know. And so the quarterback saw this move. He thought that was going to go in time. Bob would hook me, really. And so I kind of made this move, but they didn't go well, through with that. We didn't go outside. And so the quarterback scooted to the outside, and they were really deep in the end zone. And I made the sack, uh, you know, and got the safety, which was a big uh, two-point conversion at that time for us because it, it helped us. Uh, win the game, so it's a big play. But that was probably my favorite play during my career. All right, sack and safety, probably the best place that we can leave it with you. Porkrindappreciationday.com is the website. Carl Eller, thank you for everything that you're doing to help make sure that people who played the game for us to watch get the care and treatment that they deserve. Well, I appreciate having me on, and it is a big, big uh, uh things so i'm glad to do it but thank you it's necessary to have you involved with this book ryan appreciation day.com information thank you you have a great day jeff let's keep the football talk going get ready for the tradition of the army navy game by welcoming senior outside linebacker for army andre carter andre thanks so much for the time today Thanks for having me, Jason. Uh, It's fun for us. We are beyond excited to get to watch you guys play in the game. We'll talk a little bit about it in a minute. I wanted to ask you a little bit about your journey first. I I saw uh, somewhere that you said that your your mom said that you were a late bloomer. You were actually a wide receiver or tight end at first. Uh, Tell me what that journey was like from becoming the wide receiver tight end to the outside linebacker. And what did you kind of learn along the way to that path? Um, yeah, growing up, I was always more of a kind of receiver, tight end. Um, I played that all the high school. And then my last year of high school, I ended up playing. The, the coach just put me on at outside backer because we really didn't have anybody else. So I played both sides of the ball. Um, and then that was when Army kind of saw me as an outside backer. And then obviously I, I didn't really want to play tight end here. So um, outside backer was definitely the the right choice for me. Um, but yeah, it was just, um, just never really played defense, uh, always just stuck to offense and receiver and tight end. But once I, uh, played it my, my last year in high school, that's when I really like started to like it a lot. 
Is part of liking it that you get to hit someone instead of being hit? <laughs> yeah, well, one of the things that I really like about it is like you can make a play on any any play, whereas at tight end, half the time you're blocking, the other half of the time the ball might not be coming to you, might not be designed to come your way. So um, the game is really in your hands defensively. Like you can make a play on any given any given play. You know, one of the things that we we've read about you is that you are a, a fiend when it comes to watching film and trying to get better, uh, despite being an All-American. Uh, what is it about you? What drives you to to get better? Um, I would say just be the best, uh, best person, best player that I can be. Uh, my parents really instilled that in me. Just always doing your best in everything you do, whether that's football, academics, the military, just Anything you're going to um, do in your life, you know, I think you should just put your best foot forward and um, live with the results of it. You know, you talk about your parents. They were both athletes. I, I saw that you grew up watching games with your dad. You watched the Bears games and Khalil Mack and Brian Urlacher. And you loved that idea of rushing the passer. So when you got to make that move, it seemed natural. How did kind of growing up watching that and enjoying that so much translate into your passion now? Yeah, it definitely started early with those uh, Bears teams. Uh, growing up, Devin Hester was my favorite player. And um, I quickly realized that I wasn't really going to be able to emulate what he does, uh, returning the ball. But, um, yeah, just that passion for football started early and kind of just continued throughout my life. It's just always something that I see myself wanting to do and having a lot of fun doing. You know, we've had the opportunity the, and the pleasure to interview your coach in past years. What is it about coach and what is it about Army that led you to take this journey at Army as opposed to a power five football school? Um, well, there's a lot of um, reasons that I ended up here. I mean, as far as the power five, I didn't have any offers to a power five school and I didn't really want to walk on and have to pay for um, schooling. So that was one part of it. Um, and then really just the opportunity to go to a school like West Point, where it's such a you know, a lot of great uh, people went here. It's really an honor to be able to go to a school like this and serve in the military um, while also playing high division one football and getting a great education. So it was just a multitude of things that enticed me to come to a place like this. And I'm really um, happy that I made that decision. You've talked about playing with a chip on your shoulder. I, I saw a quote, all these teams that we played didn't even look my way in high school. So I kind of want to make them pay for that just because they didn't even think about recruiting me. They were like, well, let's let you walk on maybe. So there's always a chip on my shoulder. Talk about that chip and, and what it's like for you to go out there and, and really prove people wrong with the success you've been able to have when you were overlooked by some. Yeah, my, um, my dad kind of, I kind of get that from my dad. He um, he always says, like, it doesn't matter where you're playing. Just go out there and dominate and, like, you know, everything will be fine. Don't worry about any of the other stuff. And, um, you know, I tried to get recruited by a lot of different schools in high school, and maybe I was playing the wrong position. But, you know, a lot of people didn't uh, pass up on me. So um, it's just kind of motivation now to um, – just prove, make, you know, keep proving people wrong and really more so prove it to myself that I belong and can play on this level. You know, you had the chance last year after the success you had to go and, and you sort of repaid that loyalty that Army showed you. I saw a quote, I wasn't going to leave my brothers in this institution to go play somewhere else to serve in the Army. That's what I wanted to do. 
Can you talk about how important that is and, and what this lifestyle means to you to be able to be in the Army? Yeah, so I mean, when I decided to come here, um, made a commitment that this is what I wanted to do. And it's at first, it's like a daunting task to go to a military academy and be able to graduate. But that's something that, um, you know, I really want to accomplish. And I feel like that's something that I'll value for a very long time, even when I'm done playing football. So um, yeah, I didn't really want to just leave to go play football somewhere else when I got a great football team here, as well as a great school, and then a great opportunity to serve in the Army and um, become a leader in the Army. So that's something that uh, to me is very valuable, and I'm, uh, it's definitely an honor to be able to do that. In, in interviewing athletes over the years, it's it's always impressed us, the, the camaraderie between uh, athletes in the locker room. But there seems to be something special about when we've interviewed people from the Naval Academy and people from West Point. What is it about uh, playing in this atmosphere, playing for a military academy that brings you guys so close together? I think it's a part of it is just having a shared struggle. Um, some guys are great at school, great at the military, um, but other guys, you know, everybody struggles in something. And so you're going to struggle with different things together. And, you know, me and my other classmates, especially the seniors the past four years, we've done so much together basically the whole year. Like we don't really get any time off. So we're together nonstop. And just all the hardships that we've gone through together, summer trainings, school, school football, all that is just really just brought us closer together. And just some of the relationships that I've built are just um, definitely will last a lifetime. You know, this week, even though you talk about all the hard work and and how serious it is to be in a military academy, this week seems to be a week that in addition to the game itself, there is a lot of hijinks that goes on between the two teams. What what has it been like to see some of the stuff that goes on, the good natured things that go on between the Naval Academy and West Point during the week, the, the week of the Army Navy game? Um, I think it's awesome, especially when the core cadets is getting excited about it. The students at Navy are getting excited about it. Um, I know we had a, like a spirit video of uh, a couple of uh, cadets at Army drove down to Annapolis and like stole their um, ice cream machine out the mess. Out um, so to you know see stuff like that, just how many people uh, just care about the game and want their respective schools to win is just it creates a great atmosphere who cleaned up who cleaned up the ping pong balls that navy dropped on west point <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I couldn't tell you somebody not, probably, made, probably made the please pick them up yeah not andre he, he had other stuff to do so so we get to the game tomorrow you've played in this game before talk to us about what it means to be out there in the army navy game playing in that atmosphere all of the the things that go on before the game at halftime after the game just take our listeners through what that's like for you as somebody who gets to participate in it uh yeah it's definitely not like um any other game that we play um there's a lot going on outside of the game a lot of distractions so it's really important for us to, you know, just zone all that other stuff out and focus and lock in on what we're there to actually do, which is win a football game. And, um, you know, it's really important in this game just because there's so much emotion and never get too high on a play, never get too low, just stay even killed and keep going. 
Um, but yeah, there's a lot of distractions and a lot going on. So you really got to uh, be cautious and uh, do your best to stay focused and locked in. How do you deal? You've been through this game for, for four years now. So you know how to deal, deal with the highs and the lows of this game, especially this one in particular. But, but how do you deal with the younger players and what do you tell them? Because the pomp and circumstance that just leads up to the game is something that you just don't see in any other football game, especially in college. How do you, how do you get the younger players who haven't been through this to keep their emotions in check and focus on the goal at hand? Um, I would say that uh, Coach Munkin does a great job of kind of keeping every, making sure everybody knows what's important and which is, you know, winning the game, going out there and executing. He's on us nonstop 24 seven about um, doing the right things, executing and doing your job. So uh, just being in the meetings every day with him is, I feel like, kind of instills in the young guys the importance of it. And it's hard to, uh, you know, everybody, you know, believes in him. So they're going to they're gonna follow. We're going to follow our coach. And he kind of sets the tone for that. I did have to ask, Jeff and I always marvel at the uniforms every year. This year, your uniforms honor the Iron Soldiers and the 80th anniversary of Operation Torch, the first armored division's first combat initiative during World War II. What's it like to, to carry that responsibility, the legacy of the people game before you, even in the uniform that you put on your back to go play that game this week. Yeah, it's a, it's a great honor. Um, every week we represent a different uh, unit in the army on the back of our helmets, but for the army Navy game, we represent um, uh, obviously a unit, but during a certain time period. And, you know, there's so many great people that um, we're representing and, you know, that we want to, honor not only on the field but off the field as well so it's definitely a privilege to be able to do that and it's just a great honor and something that we really appreciate how important is the the history of this game to you um i would say it's 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 really important and more so to the fact that we're kind of making that history now for our class and my class is one and two against Navy. So, uh, you know, more than anything, we want to go out two and two, and that means we got to get this win on Saturday. Um, so we just want to do our best to add to the history and put arm, get a win on Army's side of the ledger. How, how great is it to, to play against the Naval Academy where you kind of know, look, they could do something different, but for the most part, we know Naval Academy is running the ball. As, as a linebacker, do you just lick your chops at the idea that you know that almost every play they're running the ball? Um, you know, you really got to, they do a great job on offense and they're really disciplined and got a great scheme. So you really got to make sure you got your eyes in the right place and um, looking at making sure you take care of your responsibility and not, you know, look at the wrong gap, try to do too much. You just got to make sure you do your job and um, just execute and, but they definitely make it hard with running the triple option. So, um, but, you know, we run it, we go against it every day and it's something that we're comfortable with, but at the end of the day, you still got to go out there and execute. What's, what's it going to feel like for you when that final whistle blows? And this is your final army Davy game. Um, I couldn't tell you, I hope it feels great because we just won the game, but, um, I'm not really getting too far 
too far ahead of myself. I'm just trying to really focus on staying in the moment and going out there and winning this last game with my brothers. Well, look, we, we can't thank you enough for the time you've given us and the time you've given for four years at Army and, and to this country. Thank you to your teammates as well. We look forward to seeing you out there on the field and wish you the best of luck with it all, Andre. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot, Andre. Jeff, it is always such an honor to get to talk to people from the Military Academy. Uh, it's so special when we get to cover Army, Navy. I cannot wait to be down there tomorrow for that scene. I, I am never more honored than to talk to our brave soldiers. And these guys, are they're always so interesting. They're so committed. They're so strong of mind. And the day that they're going to have tomorrow, I'm always happy for them. But to me, if, if you've never been to an Army, game, Army Navy game, you should go. If you're a sports fan, there is, to me, no bigger bucket list item than going to an Army Navy game. Yeah, my wife knew that that was a bucket list item for me. She got me a ticket years ago and just sent me by myself. She's like, here, Same go, thing, go right? enjoy. And I went a couple years ago, and it was an awesome experience. This year, we get to go and cover it, which clearly is an honor for us and the show and the station. Uh, Jeff, any final thoughts before we head to Army Navy tomorrow? I never know what to say, but I guess this year we got to say go Army because we talked to Andre. That's right. You'll have to take a side. Well, you did throw your hat on for him. Well, too, look, so. I, you know, most of us have people in our families that are part of the military. You do. I have a grandfather who was in the Army and another one who was in the Navy. So each year I got to pick one. Yeah, you have to pick sides there. All right. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. and We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.